if you're a good Christian, your life should be blessed, right? You go to church every Sunday, make sure the kids are in Sunday school, and obediently live the Christian life, you should expect blessing in your life, right? If, if you follow the way that God wants you to live, He will bless you with a successful career, um, bulging bank accounts, straight-A kids, uh, a nice house with two brand-new cars in the, in the driveway, and one of those barbecue grills that's bigger than a minivan, right? You can expect a good life now when you're putting God first, right? Well, that's kind of what Peter was thinking. He had just um, confessed that, right before our text, he had just confessed that he believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And because of that confession, Jesus said to him, Jesus commended him and said, Peter, you're a rock. And you're going to be a leader among the disciples. And on that confession of faith that you just made, I'm going to build my church and nothing will be able to overcome it. And so Peter was flying pretty high at this point. I'm on Jesus' team and life is going to be good now and nothing will be able to stop us. But then, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, so you know who I am. But now you need to know what I'm here to do. I must go to the cross. It's time for me now to go to the cross. This is something that I must do. There are no other options. In fact, it is why I am here. And so from this point on, from the time that Peter had just made that confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, from this point on now, that cross is going to loom large over Jesus and his disciples. And I want you to notice something from that verse, and, and there's, the ver there's Luke's version over there on that banner, that as Jesus is predicting what he's going to do and saying, here's what I must go do, notice that he's willing to do it. Jesus is willing to go through this. He wasn't some helpless victim of evil men. Out of love for us, Jesus was determined to take the road to the cross. But Peter was like, what? What cross? Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. I don't know. Would any of you want to take Jesus aside and rebuke him? I think Peter got a little bit too comfortable with Jesus here after Jesus just commended him uh, for his confession of faith. I think Peter uh, took his, got, started taking his leadership role just a little bit too seriously, and he takes it on himself to set Jesus straight. A cross, Lord? What, what do you mean, a, a cross? I don't think I'm going to let that happen to you, okay? Not if I can help it. I'm not going to let that happen. 
A, a moment ago, Peter was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But, but now his inspiration was coming from somewhere else. Peter got caught up with that same way of thinking that affects us today. Right? Okay, I follow Jesus. And, and I've given a lot up, by the way, to follow Jesus. And so I should expect a good life now. I should expect some, some payback for this. I should expect some things to go well for me because of all the things that I'm giving up. I should expect uh, my life to go good. I should expect some protection, some payback, some blessings, some physical blessings in my life, some tangible things to go well for me. Um, I should expect that that's going to happen. I ain't going to no cross. Okay, Jesus, we, we, aren't, we aren't going to the cross. You know, things should be going well now. I mean, certainly God doesn't want you to sacrifice your life. Well, what good would you be to him then? I mean, follow the Lord, but at all costs, save your life. This is the thinking that Peter was getting caught up in. But notice, it says that Peter began to rebuke Jesus. Jesus didn't let him finish. Uh, verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, and if you read the other two Gospels, you, it, it makes it very clear that he said this not just to Peter, but in front of all of them. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter needed to be put back in his place, didn't he? Peter, you're being carried away by the human views of what you think, the way you think God's kingdom should work, which are really the opposite of the way that God wants it to work. Maybe, maybe it's out of ignorance, but you know what you did, Peter? You just set a trap for me that would undo my mission on earth. Peter, you aren't being a no. I just called you rock. And I said on that rock of your foundation, of, of your confession, I'm going to build my church. Peter, you aren't being a noble rock right now that's lying in its place as a massive foundational stone for, the, for you and me, for the church that would come. Peter, you're... you're you're like, you're like a stone that's lying completely out of place, out of the building, actually right in my path of the road to the cross that I have to take. Peter, you're lying there like a stumbling block to me, not a foundational stone in the church, but a stumbling block that's going to trip me up. And that word for stumbling block, um, it can mean various kinds of traps and stumbling blocks. Scandalon in the Greek, it talks about, it's basically that trigger stick that would spring a trap on an unsuspecting animal. So Peter had just set a trap for Jesus. And if Jesus would have stepped into that trap, if Jesus would have stepped into that temptation to not go on the road to the cross, his whole mission to redeem the world would have been scuttled. Because it was his father's will for Jesus to go to the cross, the devil was going to try his hardest to prevent that. He was going to do everything he could to keep that from happening. And, and so Jesus knew exactly who was speaking here. And so he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Which are his exact words that he spoke to Satan a little bit earlier, those 40 days in the wilderness when, the, when Satan came and tempted him. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus does not mess around with the temptation to sin. And, and we can learn from this. The, the best way to deal with temptation is to get it out of our sight immediately. Put it behind you. 
The longer that we let temptation sit there in front of us, the harder it's going to be to overcome. And, and often, often the toughest temptations come from our friends. See, because friends, they care about us, right? And so they want to protect us from hardships. They want to protect us from problems that, that might have been put in our path by God, who actually knows what's best for us. But see, because friends hate to see loved ones suffering, they often suggest the easier road, the road that's free of pain and, and hardship. Like Peter, our friends often because they can't see the things of God, our friends often care, actually care more about our comfort than our character, right? And these are very, the, the intentions are good, right? They, they do love us and those things, but these are very subtle and, and dangerous temptations. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Peter had just done the opposite, hadn't he? Instead of denying or instead of saying no to himself, he said no to Jesus. He said no to Jesus. And he tried to pull Jesus away from his destiny. Now, the Christ's own cross was looming large at this point. He's, he's now on that road to Jerusalem. It was looming large. And what his disciples needed to be doing here was taking up their crosses and following him. Friends, the cross that we carry looms large right now in our lives. That cross we carry for Christ looms large. Now the cross, and it's why we have one here, it's why it's in our name, cross of life. It's why it's, it's this, the focal piece of our worship area. The cross, and maybe some of you wear it around your, your neck, um, and maybe you have it in your home, your car, um, various places, right? The cross is the symbol that we identify Jesus with. The, the cross is where Jesus was put to death to pay for our sins. And so when we are brought to faith in Jesus as our Savior, we take up that cross and we publicly identify ourselves with Jesus. And since not everyone in this world likes Jesus, the fact that we have picked up a cross and are publicly identifying ourselves with Jesus means that we are going to run into some ridicule and some persecution along the way because of it. Okay, being a Christian in this world is not going to help you uh, become wealthy or comfortable or successful. It's often the opposite. But the cross that we carry, the crosses that we carry in life as Christians are, are the persecution and, and, the, and the hardships that we suffer as a result of following Christ. Okay? Um, if, you have, if you're having a bad hair day, that's not a cross that you bear for Christ. If, if you've, if you've um, you know, if, if just your car breaks down, that, that's not a cross that you bear uh, for Christ. Crosses are things that we suffer because we're Christians. 
There are hardships that we have to go through because of our faith in Christ. That is the cross being talked about here. All right? And once, once we pick up the cross, once we pick up that cross, you, you don't put it down. Following Jesus isn't an on-again, off-again kind of thing. It's not a Sunday morning only kind of thing. It's not something we do when we feel like it. It's not something we do uh, when it's safe to do. It is how we live our lives day in and day out. Constant. We carry the cross of Jesus. We identify ourselves with him. And there's joy in that, but not everyone's going to like it. Verses 25 and 26 for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So following Jesus means taking your focus off your own interests and putting them entirely on Jesus, depending on Jesus 100%. Losing your life is a prerequisite for becoming a disciple. You can't, I was trying to show this in the kids' message, you can't hold on to something and have the other thing too. So as scary as it might be, we need to let go of what we can see and trust in Jesus for what we can't see. Eternal life, real life. Now, you could gain the whole world. Just, just imagine that. You gain the whole world. Imagine that you owned everything. I mean, it could never happen, but just so imagine that. Imagine that you owned everything, the whole world. You're the mayor of every city, the, the leader of every country, the owner of every bank account. All right? You, 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 have, the, you have the keys to every, every car, uh, truck, boat, and plane on earth. You can walk into any store, help yourself. Walk into any restaurant, eat to your heart's delight. You own it all. This really is what the devil was offering to Jesus not long before this. I'll give you the whole world. But even if you had all of that, all of that would pale in comparison to eternity. It would pale in comparison. And yet how many people forfeit their souls in the attempt to gain all that they can for themselves in this world, which is a pittance compared to the whole world. How many people forfeit their souls to gain what you can see here, the temporary things you can see? And even though we know better, how often don't we live as if that really was our goal? All the money in the world cannot buy the best life, eternal life. And nor can all the good deeds that you and I do earn it. No matter how good of a Christian you are, no matter if you, you've never missed a Sunday, um, you, you've never missed your prayer time, like from the time you, you could speak, doesn't matter how many good things you've done, they cannot be added up to earn what Jesus is offering us here. The only, the, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the only acceptable ransom and exchange for our souls. Look at verses 27 and 28. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming 
in his kingdom. So don't worry, Peter. One day we will be able to put those crosses down. And that's on judgment day. That's on the last day. But you don't have to wait that long in order to see the powerful coming of my kingdom. You're going to see it in your life here yet. So friends, we, we will see his kingdom in its final glory on the last day. But we're going to see his kingdom and the powerful working of it before that in our lifetime here. And so would Peter in his lifetime. He would see some who, who didn't believe yet in Jesus as their savior come to faith in Jesus through the Holy Spirit's work. He and, and some there would see the coming of Jesus' kingdom in his transfiguration, which is right after this, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and at Pentecost. Some would see it as the word began spreading and growing and spreading around the world. Friends, the kingdom of God is already here because it is in our hearts. The cross then also looms large as it fills us with joy for an eternity. So, friends, don't fear the cross. Okay, our third part here is we're talking about how carrying that cross and the fact that it looms over us is not a bad thing. That cross fills us with joy for an eternity. So don't fear the cross. Don't let the cross put a bad taste in your mouth. The cross is how your sins were taken away. The cross of Jesus gives you forgiveness. It gives you life with God. It is a cross of life. The cross fills us with joy because it, it gives us the greatest news in the world. So let's rejoice that the cross looms over us. Let's rejoice that we live in the shadow of the cross. And, and let's help that loom over others by picking it up, identifying ourselves with Jesus, and taking his kingdom to the world. Some time ago, there was a TV commercial showing a man going over a large waterfalls in a kayak. And he goes screaming all the way to the bottom as he, as he kind of bounces off the rock walls of the, of the canyon and then finally plunging all the way down into the waters below. And then the camera pans over to a couple standing there by their SUV who was watching the whole thing. And the guy turns to the girl, shakes his head, and says, what was he thinking? I, I think that thought must have crossed Peter's mind when Jesus said that he had to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die on the cross. What is he thinking? He is the Christ, the Son of God. What was he talking about going to Jerusalem for? His enemies are there, and they're waiting for him. What's he thinking? I can't let this happen. Peter missed the good news, didn't he? Yes, Jesus would be rejected. Yes, he would suffer much at the hands of his enemies. Yes, they would succeed in taking his life. But on the third day, he would rise again. On the third day, he would be, Jesus would be declared the victor over sin and death. 
On the third day, the forgiveness of sins, new life and salvation would be guaranteed to all who look to him and his cross in faith. So what was he thinking? The writer to the Hebrews said that he was thinking of the joy set before him. The joy of heaven for you and me. What was he thinking? He was thinking of you and me. He has been from the beginning. When he created the world in all of its splendor and beauty, he was thinking of you and me. When he wrote his law on our hearts, his beautiful rules of right and wrong that are designed to help make life better, he was thinking of you and me. When he sent his only son to come into this world and show us how to live, he was thinking of you and me. And then when that only son of his carried a cross up a lonely hill and died to pay for the sins of the world, he was thinking of you and me again. And when they laid him in a tomb, and then when he rose from the grave, and when he invited sinners to lay their burdens down and find real rest in him, he was thinking of you and me. He's always thinking of you and me. He was even thinking of you and me when he rebuked Peter for having in mind the things of men instead of the things of God. And, and when, he, um, when he called on us to, to take up our crosses, if we're going to follow him, he was thinking of you and me because he knows that if we fill our minds with the things of man instead of the things of God, if we start living um, our lives for the comfort of this world instead of for an eternity with God, that we will veer off the road to the cross and lose the only life that matters. And so he shows us tough love because he's always thinking of you and me. He leads us to realize that like Peter, we have sinned and we have, we have let our Lord down. But then he leads us to the forgiveness found at the cross. He, he calls us to, uh, to live a life that isn't always easy here to live but daily reminds us of the beautiful life that is coming. He bids us to take up our crosses and follow him. A tough message to swallow, a life that is not easy to live. But carrying that cross also fills us with joy because it reminds us of what he has done for us. The hope that has already been guaranteed by his road to the cross and resurrection to a new and blessed life. Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame because of the joy of Satan's demise and sin and death's defeat and our salvation. We can do the same. We can count it all joy when we lose a job or miss out on an opportunity to advance our careers because we dared to live our faith in front of others. We can count it joy because we know what is waiting for us. We can count it all joy when, when our investments aren't paying out as well as others who've been cheating the system. And we can count it joy because we have a living Savior who knows our needs and will provide for us. We can count it all joy when, when He has put a, a challenge or a change in our path that requires us to step out in faith. And we can count it joy because He will provide the means. We can count it all joy when... The world does whatever it will do to us because we are disciples of Jesus. We can count it all joy when, when they 
pour their hatred out on us, bomb us, take our wealth, steal our freedoms, rob us of our dignity, and we can count it joy because we know what is waiting for us when we finish the race. I don't have answers to every trial that comes your way. I'm not even going to pretend that I do. Like Peter, I sometimes wonder, what is he thinking? Giving this to me now. What, what was he thinking placing this hardship at my feet now? I don't always know. But this I know. Blessings are not found in a life without the cross. Blessings are found in him who has traveled the road to the cross for us. They are found in him who still holds his cross's victory before us. A victory that guarantees our own. And so when I look into Jesus' loving face, I don't have to wonder, what was he thinking? Because I already know he's always thinking about me and you. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.